So I was thinking, you know, the 4th of July falling on Sunday, this is the first time the actual 4th on Sunday for me to be in the pulpit. And so I consider that a special opportunity. And so in light of that, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 33. And I want to look at this psalm with my message today, One Nation Under God. Now, I know you've been standing a lot, but would you stand one more time for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to read the entire Psalm 33. This is what the Word of God says. Shout for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, Because we trust in his holy name, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Thank you. You may be seated, and Children's Church may go at this time. And let's pause and pray, and my prayer with an emphasis to pray for our country today. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we bow before you today, and what a great privilege it is to gather as God's people in this place, to open your word, to sing your praise, and today of all days, we're reminded of the great freedoms that we enjoy in this country. And Lord, we recognize that our country is not the only country that you care about. We recognize, Lord, that 
you care about all the nations and that you have your people throughout the whole world. But we also know, Lord, that you have specially blessed our country because of the number of God's people who have been part of it over the years. Because of the place that your word has had in our public institutions. Because of the sending forth of missionaries throughout the world from this country. And so, Lord, we do have much to be thankful for. And Lord, we pause right now and thank you for these freedoms. And I pray that we would not take them for granted, that we would not waste the liberty that we enjoy, but that we would use it for your glory. And Lord, our prayer is that this freedom that you have given would still be passed on to our children and our grandchildren and their children. And that until Jesus comes, that you would smile upon this country and have your mercy upon it. And so, Lord, help us not to be proud. Help us not to take for granted what we have. But help us to humbly seek your face. And help us, Lord, to pray for our country. As we open your word now, Lord, I just pray that your word would shine forth that we would hear the words of Scripture today, that your Holy Spirit would teach us. I pray that I would be hidden behind your cross and that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted in all things. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Well, as you know, we were away last time, and I know that um, Bob Jonasi was here and shared with you about the ministry of Friends of Israel and reminded us all of God's special hand on Israel and how we need to recognize that and pray for Israel and continue to support Israel knowing that God is not finished with that nation. But today I want to take this opportunity to think about one nation under God. God has promised to bless his people, and his people are those who trust in him. He will lead us in the way that we are to go. He promises to save all those who trust in him. And Jesus told his disciples that he would go away, returning to heaven to prepare a place for them. And so that truth applies to us as well. And someday Jesus is going to come. And so in the meantime... We need to pray for our country. We need to be good citizens. And we need to be the witnesses that the Lord has called us to be. We've read Psalm 33. And I want to once again read verse 12. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The word nation in Hebrew is hagoi. The word goi meaning People, nation, sometimes it refers to the pagan or the heathen. But this verse seems to apply first and foremost to Israel as a word for the nation that God has uh, set aside for himself. But it also points to other nations of the world like ours who have put the Lord in a special place 
in their devotion. Now you think back through history, how many Christian nations have there been? Has there ever been one? Well, like Great Britain or Germany or France, many others in Europe were dominated by the Christian faith uh, down through history. And, and those are facts that Christianity has been strong in Europe. And it was from Europe that the first um, people came to America to settle this country. Um, I know that we're living in a time now where history is being rewritten. But we need to look at actually what happened and study the facts and realize that God allowed the changes that brought about the United States of America. And he uses people, some who are godly and some who are not. And so like any country, our history is speckled with uh, both the good and the bad. But the United States was founded by many professing Christians who came to the new world seeking religious freedom. Other than Israel, has there ever been a nation who could claim to be God's own inheritance? And I'm not here to answer that question, but I am here to remind us that our founding fathers looked to God, the God of the, of the Bible, for their direction. And whether all of them were genuine believers or not, only the Lord knows that. But by their very words, they gave credit to God as creator, and our nation was founded on those principles. And of course, the Word of God is everywhere in our public institutions. Uh, you think, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. and looked at the buildings, the Supreme Court building has an image of Moses on it and the Ten Commandments. Those are things that are still there, you know, so um, we need to be reminded of that. As we look together at the Word of God here in Psalm 33, there have been many nations, including the United States, that have been blessed by God because of the believers in it. And I do believe that God's blessing is still on our country for the sake of ones like us who love him. Remember the story about um, Abraham and Lot and the story about Lot asking the Lord before he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, how many would it take to save them, you know? And God repeatedly said for a very small number, starting with 50, then 45, 40, 30, 20, you know, sadly couldn't even find 10 people. And we know what happened. But the point that I'm making is that God was willing to withhold judgment for the sake of even a few believers and thankfully, our country has more than a few. I was talking to someone this past week about the philosophy of ministry. And many of you, if you've known me very long, you know that I am committed to expository preaching. And that means taking Scripture and working through, first of all, who wrote it and who was the first to read it and understand it, what did it mean, and then applying it to us and I especially like to work through books of the Bible and get the flow of thought. And I've always been challenged by topical sermons. Because a topical sermon that has a danger of using Scripture as a springboard. And I almost did that today. 
I almost was going to take Psalm 33:12 and say, here's a verse, and now I'm going to tell what I think that I should say. And the Lord kind of rebuked me about that. And I decided, no. I'm going to look at everything in Psalm 33 and hear what God has to say because it doesn't matter what I think about anything. All that matters is what God says. And that's the only reason for me to be standing up here. So I want you to look with me, first of all, the righteous must praise the Lord. We've said that we believe America, the United States of America, still has a a significant number of believers in it, and God is withholding his judgment uh, for us because of that. Notice what it says in Psalm 33, verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. You know, most days when we have worship, we use stringed instruments. Have you noticed that? Do you realize the piano is a stringed instrument? You ever stop and think about that? We don't always think like that. We just think the sound just comes out of those little keys that James likes to hit, you know, hit right? But it's a stringed instrument. And to, to uh, hear the violin today that Sarah played and, and the uh, guitar that Zach played and, and all the others, you know, it's a blessing. Those kind of instruments are mentioned here in Scripture. The righteous are given a responsibility to give praise to the Lord and to look to him and proclaim his righteousness to others. Remember, to be righteous refers to those who are justified by faith, believers in Yahweh. So when it says, shout for the joy in the Lord, O you righteous, that's the same as saying, you who are believers, because none of us are righteous in ourselves. There's a possible connection between Psalm 33 and Psalm 32. If you look back at the beginning of Psalm 32, it says a mesquil of David, probably some instrumental instruction. And then Psalm 32 starts off with, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And you go down through the end of the psalm in verse 11, it says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That thought in verse 11 of Psalm 32 seems to be carried over into Psalm 33. Could that mean that Psalm 33 is a psalm of David like Psalm 32 is? We don't know that for sure. But they do seem to have a, a connection. And if nothing else, both psalms teach that the righteous are obligated to bring praise to Yahweh. Did we do that today? We, I believe we did. We started off the uh, service with, with songs of praise to the Lord. And even in our singing of our national anthem, it was spoken to me this week that there are over 400,000 good reasons to salute our flag in Arlington Cemetery. And you know, we have some of our congregation who are active in the military serving our country. Uh, One of them came back today, Jesse. And our other Jesse has been here and gone as well, you know, but Jesse Bladeen and Jesse Langsford. But, um, 
you know, we need to be reminded of what we have. And here the Scripture tells us, give praise to the Lord. Be thankful for what we have. It says there in verse 1, shout for joy. And you notice there's five commands. Shout for joy, give thanks with the lyre, make melody to him with the harp of ten strings, sing to him a new song, and play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Five commands are given, all related to music and worship. And so we take that seriously, and we should. When we come together, worship involves singing and music. It also involves digging into the Word of God, and all these things should dovetail together because the righteous are called to praise the Lord. Secondly, this psalm speaks of some reasons to praise the Lord. As we read on in verse 4, here are some of the reasons. First of all, because His Word is right. In verse 4 it says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. We come with a Bible and open it every week because the Word of God is right. It's the source book of truth. It's our handbook of how to live and practice our faith. And we believe and teach that the Word of God is inerrant and infallible. <clears throat> the Word of God is the source book of all truth. It is sufficient to lead us in a life of godliness and wisdom. And the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It was Warren Wiersbe that commented on that verse that said, the Word of God tells us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. Doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is not right. Correction is how to get right, and instruction is how to stay right. And I like that, because it gives us everything that we need. One reason to praise the Lord is because His Word is right, but also because His work is faithful. The same verse, Psalm 33, verse 4, the second line says, And all His work is done in faithfulness. God's Word is always true, and what God does is always right. He is faithful. God created the world in perfection, but he allowed the world to be marred by sin. Just think what that must have meant for God. God's not the author of sin, but he created a world and he created the ability to choose even within the beings that we call angels because Satan was one of those and he chose to rebel and he would rightly be termed as the author of, of evil. But God created a world and he made it perfect, but then he allowed it to be marred. You know, so many times we will hear some scientific program about nature and how old it is and how many millions of years since this or that. I just want to remind you, the world, the way it is right now, is as a result of Noah's flood. This is not the way God created it. He allowed this perfect creation to be marred by sin, and then he destroyed it with water, and we are now living in the aftermath of that. Remember, too, God gave the rainbow as a promise that he would never destroy the world by water again, but he has said he's going to destroy it by fire before he makes the new heaven and the new earth. We have reasons to praise the Lord. His word is right, and all of his work is faithful. 
Someday God will restore the world to its perfect completion. Let's think of that. All the stuff that Adam and Eve lost, God is going to bring back in perfection. Haven't you ever wondered what the, the Garden of Eden looked like? You're going to find out. Because in the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. And you get to the end of the book of Revelation, the tree of life is restored. The new heaven and the new earth. And we are going to live on the earth. How long? Forever. The new heaven and the new earth. And the new earth is where we are going to live. And we, again, it's hard to get that through our skulls because we always think of floating around up in heaven all the time. Another reason to praise the Lord is because He loves righteousness and justice. Notice what He says here in verse 5. We're looking at Psalm 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Righteousness describes God's character. He's perfectly right all the time. He invented the Word, He defined it, and everything that God does is right. No one can tell Him otherwise. Justice describes God's plan. And he will exalt his son as the king of kings and the Lord of lords over all creation. And there's coming a day when he's going to bring everything of the universe back into perfect harmony when he judges and punishes sin and he rewards believers with glory. Are you going to get a reward? Yes, you will. Every one of you, if you know the Lord, you're going to have rewards. How many will you get will be based on how faithful you are. I want to get some rewards. By the way, do you understand the difference between rewarding and bribery? I really get bothered when I hear parents say something like, oh, I bribed my kid to uh, memorize scripture. You did what? Bribery is when you pay somebody to do evil, not good. Am I right? So don't be calling rewards bribery. Bribery is when you pay someone to do evil. That is wrong. God never does that. God works on a reward system. And we should do that same thing. Reward people for doing right. Not paying them to do it, but offering rewards at times. That's how God works. One other reason to praise the Lord, not only because His Word is right, His work is faithful, He loves righteousness and justice, but because the earth is filled with the evidence of His covenant love. Everywhere you look, you can see the grace of God. Yesterday and the day before, I've been working on the lawn, you know. It's just something how the lawn just needs attention. It just does, doesn't it? And I pull these weeds out, and then I come back a week later, and I'm like, what in the world? I pulled those out. And there they are again. But you know, even pulling out a weed, you look and you see, wow, God created this thing. Look, it has a root. It's green. And, and sometimes weeds are actually kind of pretty. So, I mean, I, I can't stand dandelions, but man, yellow is a beautiful color, you know? But God, even in his weeds, shows his grace and his goodness. And you, you notice what it says there in the last part of verse 5. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. It's everywhere you look. Even in this marred condition, the curse of sin is everywhere. But even in spite of that, the beauty of it. Have you been to a zoo lately? Have you looked at God's creation? Have you been to an aquarium? Have you looked at what's under the ocean? What lives down there? 
The Scriptures speak of God's goodness. Another translation, the steadfast love. Another translation, His unfailing love. This all speaks of the salvation that He offers to those who trust Him. That's what He's saying here. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love. That's His promise of salvation. It's full of that promise to those who will believe it. Okay, so, so far we've looked at the righteous must praise the Lord, and we gave some reasons to praise the Lord. That's my second point. The most of this psalm, beginning in verse 6 down through verse 22, is about the Lord's response to His people. So let's hear now what God says. And it's kind of interesting how psalmists write. You know, sometimes they write what's on their heart, and then they say, God says this, and then, but I think this, and then God says this. You have to read closely to understand what they're saying. But beginning in verse 6, here's the Lord's response. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. God is altogether about displaying his creative power. He created the universe by a spoken word. Just think of that. Do you ever just stop and meditate on that? How awesome God must be to speak a word and create a universe. We can't get our mind around that. By the breath of his mouth, all their host, and the host refers to probably stars, sometimes it refers to angels, whether it's created beings or created things, it doesn't matter. God spoke it all. And it says that he moves the oceans with ease. He gathers the waters in a heap, like piling up the Red Sea. Just think of how in Genesis, when God first created, everything was kind of a murky something or other at the very beginning, and then he started separating the dry land, and, and he systematically shaped his creation. And, you know, some people want to see there's a big gap of a million years between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. The only problem with that is Hebrew grammar will not allow that. There's a thing called a vav consecutive that does not allow a gap, and it's there. I mean, why do people want to think that and they don't want to study what's really there but you look at genesis god shapes and he took six days why did he take six days if he could speak it all in a word he could have made it just perfect to, to begin with but he shaped it and he fashioned it he separated the dry land and then he started uh, you know with the the growth of the plants and the seed bearing trees and so on and so on and so Later on, he, he, he um, made the, the breathing animals and the fish and so on. Every day was a special day. But all the earthlings stand in the awe of the Creator's perpetual power. It says in verse 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Those verses alone would be worthy of a whole sermon. For us to just step back and think, wow, how awesome God is. How worthy He is of our worship. How we should just stand in awe of Him. We should spend time just quiet in His presence. And again, He speaks a word and it happens. Not only did God display His creative power, but you know what He does on a daily basis? He practices His sovereign providence. 
Now by that we mean that God has put into his creation laws and rules that are working their way out all the time that he doesn't have to step in and do something about it. Uh, the law of gravity would be one of those things, right? And I guess we could uh, talk about some of the weird things about gravity that Doug and I were talking about recently. But, but you know, in general, God has these, these principles that, you know, the, I know the sun doesn't really come up in the morning, but it looks like it does. And so, you know, every day we have these cycles of things that God has put and, and we can set our clock by it. We can, we can watch and see what God does. What God says is going to happen. What God does is going to stand. And notice what it says in verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And so whether it's the sun coming up in the morning or the laws of gravity or the laws of uh, you know, physics or thermodynamics or any other subject you would want to think about, most of which I don't even know anything about, those kind of things. God has that all together. Remember, a miracle is when God breaks into history and stops one of his sovereign principles. That's a miracle. I guess I'll stop right there because I'm so, I'm so tempted to say some other things, but it usually gets me in trouble. So just think that God's will and his work is going forward. Now all this to get to verse 12. Now remember I said I was thinking about using verse 12 as a springboard, and I thought, no, I don't want to handle the word of God like that. We're going to look at the whole psalm and see what it all says. But verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Obviously, first and foremost, this verse applies to Israel because Israel's God's chosen people. And you realize there's never a day, there's never a day that goes by that Israel is not mentioned in the news and the world. And I'm, I'm not talking about Israel's news. I'm talking about all the nations. There is hardly anyone in public service or in leadership in the nations of the world who don't know about the problem of the Middle East. And I know you heard a lot of that from um, Bob Jonasy last time. But it never ceases to amaze me how just the word, the Jew, is the proof that the Bible is true. That's all the proof that you need. The Jew. Because people try to get rid of the Jews and they can't do it. And they can't get rid of God's word. But I want to ask you this. Is Psalm 33.12, does it have application for us as citizens of the United States of America? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Remember we said the word nation speaks broader than just Israel. And so here's a statement in kind of a proverbial fashion that God gives blessing to those nations where his people are. You know, they're rewriting history. And we need to make sure we study the truth about history. Is the history of our country perfect? No, it isn't. 
Were the leaders of our country perfect? No, they were sinners. But I do want to remind you of some of the things of what our leaders, known as our founding fathers, said about the Scriptures. For instance, President George Washington. These are direct quotes from their writings or their public statements. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. True religion affords government its surest support. That was Washington. President John Adams, the destiny of America is to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to all men everywhere. That's what the president said. Thomas Jefferson, I've always said that the studious perusal of the sacred volume will make better citizens, better fathers, and better husbands. President Andrew Jackson, the Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. John Quincy Adams, so great is my veneration of the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens of their country and respectable members of society. Abraham Lincoln, all the good from the Savior of the world is communicated through this book. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. President U.S. Grant, hold fast to the Bible as the sheetrock of our liberties. Write its precepts on your heart and practice them in your lives. President William McKinley, the more profoundly we study this wonderful book, the better citizens we will become and the higher will be our destiny as a nation. President Woodrow Wilson, America was born a Christian nation. Now that's quite a statement. America was born a Christian nation for the purpose of exemplifying to the nations of the world the principles of righteousness found in the Word of God. You know, I'm a student of history, and I read a lot about it. And you may or may not honor or venerate or, or think wisely of, of all these people, but, but it's interesting, no matter what was in their heart, that they would say these things publicly to our country. They were supposed to be given words for an effect. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, on the flyleaf of 10 million Gideon Testaments, commending the reading of the Bible to all the members of the nation's armed forces. And you know what happened during his presidency. It was World War II. I could read about Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, Ronald Reagan, encouraged Congress to declare 1983 the year of the Bible. The first president, George Bush, who was the second president named George to hold the highest office, and he was elected exactly 200 years after George Washington used two Bibles during his inauguration. His first act as president was to lead the nation in prayer. And yes, are there some that are atheists, some that don't believe in God, some that reject him? Yes, there, there were. And were, were some of these men have many faults and, and moral faults? Yes. Patrick Henry said, this country was founded not on religious freedom, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these are statements that they actually made. George Washington made constant reference to his faith in God and in his speeches and writings. The Declaration of Independence mentions God four times. And the signers of that document are the ones who founded the American Tract Society, the American Bible Society, the Philadelphia Bible Society, and many other Christian organizations. Did you know that the founding fathers of our country got their idea of government from Scripture. The three branches of government are based on Isaiah 33:22, where God is 
the judge, the lawgiver, and the king. The separation of powers based on Jeremiah 17.9, the deceitful human heart. Tax exemption of churches is based on Ezra 7.24. The early days of our country, American education was based on the Bible. The New England Primer dates back to 1620. In the 1795 edition, there's a section on teaching the alphabet in which each letter is illustrated with a quote from the Bible. The Bible and Christianity were the core of all education in the United States up through the middle of the 20th century. Only 75 years ago, as recent as 1946, in the Dallas High School in Dallas, Texas, they required a Bible study course for graduation. You could not graduate unless you completed a Bible study course, and the first lesson was the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That was in our public school in Dallas, Texas. The American judiciary was based on the Bible. In 1892, the Supreme Court in, in, in the case Church of the Holy Trinity versus the United States ruled for the church and stated, Our institutions are emphatically Christian. The court quoted 87 precedents to, in order to make its conclusion. In 1844, a school wanted to teach morality without religion. In the case Vidal versus Girard's executors, the court ruled, you must teach Christian principles of morality from the Bible. In 1811, the Supreme Court ruled, an attack on Jesus Christ is tantamount to an attack on the United States of America. And the blasphemer in the case was convicted and sentenced to three months in jail. This was only two decades after the First Amendment was written to preserve the freedom of speech. And I could go on and on. My father-in-law, Joseph Chapman, pastored the Baptist Church of Danbury, Connecticut. And that's where Diana was born. Do you know that church is a famous church? It was in 1796, the Baptist Church of Danbury, Connecticut, which we visited before, received this favorable ruling. There must be no national denomination. All Christian sects shall have equal footing because this is a Christian nation. What was going on was the group of congregationalists in that area wanted to make that the national church. And it was the people of the Baptist Church of Danbury that stood up against that, that we need to keep our freedom to believe and teach what we, what we believe. Probably the most famous statement ever made about this subject was in 1802 in a speech that Thomas Jefferson gave called the, where he said, the church must be protected from the state. Those were his exact words. And when he talked about the wall of separation, his meaning was the church must be protected from the state. I have so much more I could talk about this. I have notes, reams of it, and you can tell that's why I was thinking about doing that. But it was in 1947 where things began to change, and they reversed the meaning of Thomas Jefferson's words. Well, we're living in a different time now, but we are still living in a day when the Lord is on the throne in heaven, and we still have freedoms. And when we look at this verse, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The nation that serves Yahweh is going to be blessed. We want to serve him. And we need to teach our children this. 
And we need to continue to memorize Scripture, teach our children to memorize Scripture verses. This psalm goes on, going back now to Psalm 33. The Lord knows the hearts of all the people. In verses 13 and 14, He sees everyone. And in verse 15, He knows their hearts and their deeds. In verses 16 and 17, He observes that the human might is actually frail. Notice it says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. It's a reminder that we need the Lord. We can't rest on a, our military or our strength as, as the way to uh, have um, confidence. If our confidence is not in the Lord, we've lost everything. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. He says in verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. One of the things that I really wanted to get across today, we could stand up here and talk about the negative things that are happening in our country. And there's too many of them to even mention. But that's not why we're here, is it? We're not here to talk about all the negative things. What we are here is to worship the Lord first and foremost and to remember to pray for our country because our salvation and our uh, everything rests upon Him. And I believe the Lord is not done with our country yet, but we had better stand up and speak for what's right and we had better do what's right. We better continue to teach our children the truth and send out missionaries. And we need to be missionaries right here. The psalm ends with the Lord offering his eternal salvation to all those who would believe. In verse 20, he says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. These verses are about salvation. This is a, these verses would very simply be fit into the New Testament presentation of the gospel. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. You notice in the Old Testament, it's trust and hope is the emphasis. The New Testament, faith and belief. But trust or believe is the same. We trust and we believe in what God has said, and that's how we are saved. Well, this is what I've been saying. The righteous must praise the Lord. It's our, it's our duty. It's our duty to give praise to the Lord. And secondly, there's reasons to praise the Lord. And we looked at the truth of God's Word and His ways. And finally, the response of the Lord to His people, that we need to trust Him and realize that He wants to bless nations who believe in Him and love Him. So what about some take-home lessons before we approach the Lord's table? Let us not waste our liberty. Even though our country has done many things that are wrong, and it seems like the emphasis on so many fronts is all the bad things about our country. Olympians turning away from the word, of, away from the saluting of the flag and, and people finding fault with our country. Yes, our country has lots of faults, but it, it still has many good things, many freedoms. And we should appreciate that and thank the Lord for it. And we need to look on the positive and encourage people to think about the positive. And be careful not to slam the people that are so negative. God has blessed the United States, at least in part, 
because of the believers here, because of you. And I want to remind you today that God has not forsaken his people, and he will never forsake you, and how we need to trust him. So my last thought, and probably the main thought, let us pray for our country. Even with its faults, let's see the positives, and let's not give up. We should be watching for Jesus to come, but in the meantime, let's do our best to be the godly people that he's called us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you and we just are reminded once again of the the truth of your word and we're reminded to pray for our country. And I pray, Lord, for your mercy upon it, that you would not give up on it and help us not to give up on our country. At the same time, help us not to be proud. Help us not to pretend that everything is perfect or everything always has been perfect. But help us be true to your word. And so, Lord, may we not waste these liberties. Times like this where we can gather and speak freely without fear of anyone stopping us or confronting us. And if the day comes where we're not allowed to do this, Lord, may we be faithful to you. Please help us as we approach your table now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.